like for you to turn to the book of 1 Kings. That's an Old Testament book, way back near the beginning of the Old Testament. And I hope that you have a Bible and one of these deals right here, because we need it tonight, especially do we need a Bible to follow the reading of the Scripture. I want to introduce tonight a new series, a series on the book on uh, the character Solomon. Several months ago, I started preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes on, at noon on Fridays in our men's luncheon. And uh, about that time, God led me to be, do some quiet time reading in the book of 1 Kings. I was wanting to do some Old Testament study and Old Testament reading and uh, um, it just the way it fell into place about this time uh, we started making plans and preparations for our building and here's this man who built the first house of God, the first temple of God and so it all has kind of worked into a plan and uh, I want to introduce this series tonight on Solomon's life and if you have 1 Kings ready, just hold the place there and your scripture, your, your Bible on your lap. Someone gave the secret of effective communication. Somebody gave the uh, secret of communication in a three-word sentence. The secret of communication was incarnate the truth. In other words, don't just preach about concepts and truths. Incarnate those concepts and truths as they are related to life. Don't just teach faith, um, the concept or the truth of faith, but teach Abraham because he incarnates faith as the most effective man who literally embodied what it means to trust God. If you want to teach the concepts of lust and what uh, lust will do in a life to destroy it, don't just teach the concept and the truth. Teach the life of Samson because tragically enough this man, this man of God because of his lust followed the impulse and the desires of the flesh and led to his fall. And if you want to teach the problems that exist in a local assembly. Don't just talk about truths and concepts. Talk about 1 Corinthians and the people that were involved in that so that you can find truth in Scripture and incarnate those truths in every life. As a matter of fact, somebody said it's not even, not even necessary to teach history. All you've got to do is teach the biographies of people. Now I think you can go overboard with that. If you'll just turn me off, I'll use this mic, okay? Because I'm having a lot of problems. Are you, do you have me off? Okay, I don't want this to pop. Now you got me right here, right? Okay. I think a person can go overboard maybe and uh, just preaching or teaching a biography of someone's life. In fact, F.B. Meyer tells about the man who um, all he did was uh, preach about Old Testament characters. 
And so he came to introduce, after a long, long series on Old Testament characters, he came to talk about or to preach about the minor prophets. And he got up and he said, Now we've come to Amos. Oh, Amos, what are we going to do with Amos? And a man on the back row said, and stood up and said, He can have my seat. I'm going home. I can't stand any more of this. What are we going to do with Solomon? Don't you say it. <laughs> what are we going to do with Solomon? We are hard-pressed to really uh, get into the life of this man because there is, there is so piecemeal throughout the Scripture. His, the story of his life and their, uh, the, uh, the Scripture is so piecemeal. It's like a puzzle. We know that he has written three books. He wrote the book of Proverbs, those tremendous sayings of truth. We know that he wrote the Song of Solomon, or the Songs of Songs, a great love story that's so difficult to understand and so complicated. And we know that he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, a book of despair. And it's written to show the tragedy of a life that has no practical faith in God. And we come to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes and it's the description of a wealthy old man who has come to the end of a tragic life and he's so unfulfilled and so unhappy. So where did this man come from and what is the story of his life? If you'll look at 1 Kings chapter 1, we'll start there at verse 28. Then King David answered and said, Call Bathsheba to me. And she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king vowed and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from distress, surely as I vowed to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Your son Solomon shall be king after me. And he shall sit on my throne in my place. I will indeed do so this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and prostrated herself before the king and said, May my Lord King David live forever. Now I think when we think of the life of Solomon, we think of a man whose life was shipwrecked. And there's so much about Solomon's life that is colored by what we know from the book of Ecclesiastes. And yet really the life of Solomon does not begin in a tragedy. It begins in glory and, and uh, in pomp and circumstance. But because our nation has never had a king or does not know a king, it's difficult for us to conceive of the pomp and circumstance that existed in the life of of this nation when Solomon uh, was a boy. A few years ago, I, while I was in uh, England, uh, we went out to Windsor Castle and um, looked at some of the Queen's jewelry. I mean, millions and millions of dollars of jewelry. And understanding that at that time, England was in a tremendous depression and people were literally starving. The people without, a, out of, uh, without jobs, out of work. And I mentioned to one of my friends who was a pastor over there, you know, why don't the people just, you know, how, how do they uh, 
stand for all of this luxury and wealth when they're so poor. It, lo it looks like they'd be rioting in the streets. And he said, you just don't understand the culture of these people and understand how committed they are and how they revere royalty like the king or the queen. And there's so much of that involved in the beginning of this man. For 40 years, the people of Israel had lived in incredible blessing, and they were led by the greatest king that had ever lived, David. And he was not so much a diplomat as he was a man of war. And he had quieted the Philistines, and it satisfied the people, and they lived in luxury and in tremendous prosperity. And David decided he wanted to build a temple for God, and so he gathered brass and and stone and gold and if it had not been for his temporary moral failure it is mind-boggling to imagine what this man could have accomplished as king it was a fabulous dynasty it was a time of glory it was a glorious time when Solomon became king about 25 years of age now let's turn back to 2nd Samuel chapter 4 12 verse 24 back one book second Samuel chapter 12 verse 24 this is the birth of Solomon who succeeds David as king then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her this is after the death of the child that was conceived in adultery. You know the horrible story of David's sin and this child that was born as the result of that sin dies. And right after his death, David goes in and comforts Bathsheba, lays with her and she gave birth to a son. And David named him, David named him Solomon, Shalom. It means peace or peaceable man. It's significant. Anytime they named a child in those days, there was significance in that name. Significantly, he named him Peace or peace, Peaceable Man. It seems to indicate the cry and the need of David's heart for peace. I think it's indicative. For when a man sins against God, he never really lives down that sin if he's a man after God's own heart like David. His heart was constantly and continually troubled by his sin. He needed peace. Also, he was a man of war, and even though he was successful in battle, he longed for peace. He longed for, this, for stillness and quiet in his heart. So he named his son Peace. I can just picture this man holding to, the, to his bosom, to his breast, this son, and the heart cry of of David was, oh, give me peace through him. But look at verse 25. Now the Lord loved Solomon and sent word through Nathan the prophet. And Nathan named him Jedidiah for the Lord's sake. Now the name Jedidiah means pleasing Jehovah or loved by Jehovah. It is believed by scholars that Nathan, this prophet, is the same man who came and pointed to David and said, Thou art the man, and, and, uh, and uh, dealt with David's sin, this prophet. 
it is believed by many scholars that that Solomon was actually raised by Nathan the prophet. Now if you could picture David's household as a boy. He lived in a house where David had at least ten wives and he was there present was was Solomon the young boy when Amnon his half-brother raped his sister Tamar and because of that crime Absalom her brother killed Amnon who was the half-brother Solomon he was there to witness the revolt of Absalom against his own father and saw the political intrigue and the treachery that went on in the palace he was as a young boy witnessing the fall of the kingdom when Absalom took his father's throne because of that treachery and deceit. And he was present when Absalom, his brother, was, was killed. The horrible death. And he may have even heard his father up in the chambers weeping and crying, Absalom, my son Absalom, would to God I died for thee. I wonder how many children are born in horrible situations. I wonder how many young people are raised in awful turmoil. Sometimes, this is a true story, sometimes I, as I sit here on this platform, I look out all these college students. My mind just kind of, my imagination just kind of uh, goes into gear and I just wonder what kind of homes these young men and women come from. In the case of Solomon, came from this horrible background, this terrible treachery these terrible times and yet when we see him again as a matter of fact from the time of his birth until he became king there's not a word mentioned of Solomon probably raised by Nathan the prophet and when he comes to the age of 25 he is a godly man who is walking with God I'm here to tell you that one person just one person can change a life one person strategically placed can literally turn a life around and, and cause that life to walk with God. Now let me say parenthetically tonight something I deeply believe. That if a person finds another friend or he has someone to whom he can relate and, and, and to whom he can confide and, and, and share, it's so important, especially for young people, to find somebody that you, that you trust, that you know that you can talk with and, and, and share with and pray with. And I believe that one of the keys to living the Christian life is, is finding the right person to spend your time with and to share with and to know. And I'm absolutely convinced that the people who make it in the Christian life are the people who, who are, are associating with the right kind of, of people, the right kind of friends. And that's why I believe it's so important, young people, who you date and who you get to know and who you learn to love and to share your life with, they can make or they can break your relationship. And it's... And it's and it, it's significant that this man Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes two are better than one and he goes on to describe how important it is to have somebody that you can relate to who can help you in your daily walk in your daily lifestyle 
it's just a really um, significant. When I, be, when, I became a, when I was a senior in high school, I was living so far away from God. And I had all the wrong kinds of friends. I mean the wrong kind. Now that's what my friend's parents were saying that about me. I'm absolutely sure. They said, hey, you're running around with the wrong guy. My mother was saying that to me about the guys I, were, I was running around with. I just had all the wrong friends. Now we're going to look at First Chronicles. Now First Chronicles is over the other side of First Kings to the right. Let's do it right quick. We'll look at verse 29, chapter 29. Chapter 29, verse 23. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David his father, and he prospered, and all Israel obeyed him. And all the officials, the mighty men, and also all the sons of King David pledged allegiance to King Solomon. Now watch this. And the Lord highly exalted Solomon in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him royal majesty, which had not been on any king before him in Israel. I mean, even his father. Now, what I want to do the rest of this time is to show how God poured out his blessing upon a man who learned to walk with God because of a friend. If you'll turn to chapter 1 of 2 Chronicles, chapter 1 of 2 Chronicles, you're following in the outline. I want us to see the four evidences of God's blessing upon this man's life. Number one, there was wisdom and knowledge. Look at verses 2 and 3. And Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and to the judges and to every leader in all Israel, the heads of the, heads of the father's household. Then Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place which was at Gibeon, for God's tent of meeting was there, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. They went to the temple, to the tabernacle rather. Verse 7, In that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. Now watch this. Here was a man who had become king in the time of glory and, and, and power. And he comes to the tabernacle, to the place where God meets his people, and he comes down to the altar. It's significant that the great things in life always happen at the altars of God. The great things in life. And when he got down to this altar, God said, I'm going to give you a blank check. I want to give you anything you want. Now what if that were what if that were you? I mean, God comes to you right here tonight at this altar, and He says, I want to give you anything you ask for. As a matter of fact, that's just exactly what happens. I think that what the focus that we place on the altars of God, most of the time the focus is this. God wants you to come here so He can demand of you. Let me tell you, God wants you to come to the altar of commitment in order that he might give to you. And he says, I want to give you a blank check. 
you just fill in the amount. What do you want? And look what he said. And Solomon said to God, Thou hast dealt with my father David with great loving kindness. He knows that God is good and loving and has made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, thy promise to my father David is fulfilled, for thou hast made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can rule this great people of thine? Give me wisdom and knowledge. Now, I don't think that'll work if you go to class tomorrow, King, gang, and... Uh, the teacher hands out the, uh, the, the quiz and, and the, the quick little prayer, Lord, give me wisdom. I don't think that's what he's talking about. Lord, give me wisdom and knowledge. Now turn to chapter 9, same book, and I want to show you something. Chapter 9 of the same book. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with difficult questions. Did God give him what he asked for? Does he give us what we ask at the altar? Look here. She came to test him with difficult questions. She had a very large retinue with camels carrying spices and a large amount of gold and precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was on her heart. And Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from Solomon, which he did not explain to her. He told her everything she needed to know. And Solomon answered all her questions. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he built, the food at his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his ministers in their attire, the cupbearers in their attire, and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, she was breathless. I mean, he, he really wowed her. She was breathless. Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Nevertheless, I did not believe their reports until I came and my eyes had seen it. And behold, the half of the greatness, your greatness and your wisdom, has not been told me. It's greater than I thought. You surpass, surpass the report that I heard. How blessed are your men, how blessed are these your servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on his throne as king for the Lord your God because your God loved Israel, establishing them forever. Therefore he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold. You know how much that is, gang? That's $3,500,000 she laid on this guy. Now look at verse 23. So King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. God blessed him with wisdom. Secondly, God blessed him with discernment. Now turn back to 1 Kings chapter 4. Have a little race through the scripture here. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29. Now, 1 
Now, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind. He had this tremendous ability to visualize. He had discernment. Breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. He gave him discernment. And breadth of mind. He had the abilities to see vistas inside. He was a dreamer. Came from God. Third blessing. He had riches and fame. I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 10. He had riches and fame. And we'll just hurry to a look at verse 14. Now the weight of gold which came in to Solomon in one year was 666 talents. That's $25 million worth of gold. Look at verse 18. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with refined gold. Verse 22. For the king had at sea the ships of Tarshish with the ships of Hiram. Once every three years, the ships of Tarshish came bringing gold and silver, ivory and apes and peacocks. Verse 25, and they brought every man his gift, articles of silver and gold, garments, weapons, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. He was a rich man. Now, why is it that God takes the time to describe in graphic detail the wealth of this man? I think I know the answer to that. I think that God is pleased to prosper us. You know, um, why is it that, that we feel guilty if, we're, if we have uh, money, <laughs> you know, if we succeed? Uh, why is it that, that we feel like that if a person is rich, that he, he certainly, surely can't be walking with God? It seems to me that what God wants to do is to prosper us, to bless us with things, with, with, with prosperity. He wants us to succeed in everything we do. He wants us to be the richest church in town. He wants us to prosper, to succeed. He's pleased that we are. And he blessed us fourthly with v, blessed him fourthly with vision and skill verse 27 and following. Now, let's wrap this thing up by turning to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. This is a um, Sunday before Thanksgiving. Right here, Solomon, this rich man, had everything that a guy could dream about having. Look at Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. 
I think that one of the things that is so evident in the life of Solomon was that he forgot where all of this came from. Let me suggest using as a parallel the life of Solomon four things for which we need to be thankful. Number one, our minds. Probably days and months go by without giving thanks for your mind, your ability to think. Don't let that mind of yours lie dormant. Take time to cultivate it. You never get too old to cultivate, to use your mind. Don't let it lie dormant. One of the biggest mistakes I've ever made was to go through all through high school, never studied, never studied, wasted my time and teacher's time, just kind of cheat my way through, and I know I'm sounding just like some of you. And I got out of high school, I didn't even know how to study. God called me to preach. I didn't know a thing. I went off to college, and the first year I was there, I discovered how ignorant I was and how I'd wasted my time. It took me two or three years just to learn how to study. Oh, I wish I had those years to live over again. And every day we get up and, you know, and we, uh, we go through, a, through the day without really using the mind. You sit in front of a television set. One of the greatest gifts that God has given is the ability to think our minds. Secondly, be grateful for your stability. Your stability. We harp on those times that we don't stand firm and we worry about those times when we are weak. What about those times that God just keeps you there and keeps you steady? I reread this this week the book Tracks of a Fellow Struggler, written by a fellow colleague, a preacher friend who has passed over at Fort Worth for several years. Watched his daughter die of leukemia. Little ten-year-old child. And he wrote this book. You know, if you don't have it, you need to get it. You need to read it often. Every chapter in that book is a sermon he preached in various stages of his child's death, the dying process. One of those sermons, he talks about the fact, he uses that text from Isaiah where it says... We wait on the Lord. We'll mount up on wings of eagles and run and not be weary and walk and faint not. He comes into the pulpit on Sunday and he says, I don't have the ability to soar. I don't feel any ecstasy in my heart. I can't mount on wings. And he said, I don't feel the strength to run. He said, I'm, I've been with my daughter all this week. And I stood by her bed while she's moaned and groaned and slept no longer than 30 minutes at a time. And they couldn't even turn her over because just a touch her brought excruciating pain. And he said, I've almost, from time to time, he said, I've almost clenched my fist and 
cursed God and I've wanted to cry out to Him. What are you doing in all of this? Where are you? And He said, I've discovered that underneath all of this is a strength that God has just literally kept me on my feet. Listen to this last paragraph in that book. I've not fainted yet, he said. I've not exploded in the anger of presumption, nor have I keeled over into the paralysis of despair. All I'm doing is walking and not fainting, hanging in there, enduring with patience what I cannot change but have to bear. This may, sound, this may not sound like much to you, but to me it is the most appropriate and most needful gift of all. My religion has been the difference in the last two weeks. It has given me the gift of patience, the gift of endurance, the strength to walk and not faint. And I'm here to give thanks to God for that. And who knows if I am willing to accept this gift and just hang in there and not cop out. Maybe the day will come that Laura Lou and I can run again and not be weary. That we may even soar someday and rise up with wings as eagles. But until then, until then, to walk and not faint, that is enough. Oh God, that is enough. And I may be speaking to some tonight who are just watching on television who feel like you're almost at the end. Thank God for the stability that He gives. And underneath this shifting sand of despair and hopelessness, there is this rock of God who holds us up. Forget not that benefit. Third, remember to thank God for your possessions. You slept in a warm bed last night. There are so many thousands and millions who didn't. And you got up and you ate breakfast in a warm shelter. There are many who have never done that. And you have food in your stomach tonight and you've thrown away more today than the average, than the majority of people in this world will eat this week. You have clothes on your back. So do I. And not only is this adequate clothing, but it's luxurious and it's fluent. And you have money to spend. And you have cars to drive. And I don't think we should feel guilty for that, but I think we need to be grateful for it. And thank God that everything we have the abundance of our time, the abundance of our land is the result of God's love and grace. Don't forget that. And don't forget the final benefit, which is your hope. Sometimes your hope is just in your children. Maybe you feel like that you, you can't be what you need to be, but you have hope for your children to be that. And God has given you wonderful children, you parents. And in them you see promises, you see blessings. In them you see the fulfillment of God's promise for your life. Don't forget your hopes. 
And sometimes your hopes are just resting in your church, your church friends, your loved ones. Now this is kind of a different sermon. Just kind of laying the groundwork, setting the pace, setting the mark for Solomon. And I want you to go home and rejoice to know this, that God is good to his people. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, our minds are overwhelmed, our hearts are overwhelmed when we think of how good you've been to the people you've chosen. You could have made Bathsheba's womb barren for the rest of her life because of her sin. But in your grace, you brought forth a son. Shalom, peace, peaceable man. You could have cursed David for his adultery, his sin, but you gave him blessing and hope through his son. You helped him fulfill the dream he had to build a temple just through his son. His hope was fulfilled in him because you're good. You're a God of grace and a God of mercy. You desire to see us prosper, to succeed, to be everything that we can be, to reach the full potential of our minds, our thought process. God, you're so good to us. And we forget not your benefits. Help us to rejoice and to thank you for the goodness of God, the land of the living. And I pray that thanksgiving will become thanksgiving. Because I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake.